Computer love. Okay, so I'm not going to actually perform the entire song, but I was thinking, you know what? We're going to be talking about something related to that. So I was like, we might as well go with Computer Love as the first song of the day. But <laughs> that doesn't matter. Welcome to the JB Font channel. I am your host, James Fauntleroy. It's so good to see all. That's the Babel. Sunny. <laughs> Tuesday afternoon today is September 13th, 2022. It is so good to see you all. Just to let you guys know that the JB Font channel is available on all major podcast platforms like Anchor, Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can subscribe to me there. I'm also part of the Revolutionary Blackout Network, so you can find me on the JB Show on Sundays at 1 p.m. on RBN, as well as RBN Live on Tuesdays at 4 and the Savvy and JB show on Thursdays at 6. Please make sure to give this video a thumbs up. And if you're new, please make sure take that gorgeous, beautiful appendage, that gorgeous, beautiful appendage, and press down on the like button. You know you don't want to do that. It's absolutely wonderful. I tell you, it's great. It's my favorite color, red. Red like socialist. Socialist red. <laughs> and also, please click the link bell. If, you know, if you can. And if you do, I promise you maybe some cookies, maybe some pie, maybe some tiramisu, or it's the thought that counts, right? Uh, shout out to patrons on Patreon as well as coffee, and also to the people who are watching on Rockfin, Twitch, and YouTube. So good to see you. But other than all that, I would love to give a uh, warm introduction to a beautiful human being. Someone who has been there when I was unknown, who said, hey, let's give this fluffy kid a chance. Let's, 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 let's do, let's throw him a bone, will you? And then he said, okay. And then he graced my, you know, graced my eyes with his beautiful presence. I would like to give it to Mr. Ron Placone. Comedian, up, man. Com wait, I gotta give it to you. Com I gotta give you your flowers. Comedian, writer, activist, advocate, commentator, Ron Placone. <laughs> What's up, buddy? Thanks for the man. Uh, that was a very, very warm intro. For a second, I was like, I don't think he's talking about me. This is way yes. too. Yes, <laughs> yeah, man, I am talking about you. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Well, good Duh. to see you, buddy. <laughs> Always a pleasure, man. Good to see you. Oh, man. The pleasure's all mine. Thanks for coming from my tiny little channel. I appreciate it so much. Of course, man. I, yeah, I, I didn't realize. Like we were talking about off mic. I mean, we've done stuff together before. I didn't realize that technically this is the first time I'm on your specific channel. So mm -hmm. honored to be here, man. I'm, um, I'm yeah. stoked. Yeah, definitely. And yes, you are underrated. It's very kind to say. And, Thank you very yeah, much. And I'm going to say Thank it. You, I'm going to say it. <laughs> so um, one of the things that uh, I, I typically do on this channel is, and, and like I told you before, I, I try to make this almost like the inside the actor's studio for, you know, independent media, right? You know, but at the same time, talk about some of the things that we're championing or some of the things that are close to our hearts. 
And so uh, that's some of the things that I wanted to get into here. Um, now, people, you know, you really don't need much of an introduction anymore because, you know, they've seen our interactions together. Um, but I, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to ask the question of, like, what got you into comedy and then largely into the this activist and uh, commentator space? Or was it the reverse? Were you more of an activist, activist and commentator, but then got into comedy? How did, it, how did the order go and how did you get into it? Well, I mean, I don't know if I was really like anything, but I was really into like politics before I was into comedy. Like I was, uh, you know, when I was in college, I, so I guess technically I, I don't know if I would say I was an activist necessarily, but like I, I was, I showed up to like Iraq war protests every week on campus protesting the war. And I met mm. some like, you know, activisty groups and I was doing stuff with, um, I was doing stuff with some anti-war groups on campus and I was also heavily involved in like community radio. I, I really liked community radio. Um, I still do. It's just not, I mean, even though the internet was still a pretty big thing even then and radio was still a dated medium, even then it's even more wow. of a dated medium now, you know? So, um, so I was really into all that when I was in college and then it wasn't yeah. until like, pretty much like towards the end of college that I like tried stand up for the first time. So, I mean, I was always trying to weave politics into my comedy because it was just something that was interesting to me and something that was like important to me. Um, so yeah, I guess to answer your question, technically it would have been the other way around. It was like, I was into politics and then I started doing comedy and then, you know, I mean, I was I was a road comic, which basically just means you're traveling around venue to venue doing stand up. I mean, I did that for uh, for a decent number of years. I lived in my car for a little bit doing it because I was just traveling oh. so much, um, you know, and then eventually wound up in L.A. And, you know, and things kind of happened from there. I got you. So basically you went to college, you discovered that the emperor has no clothes. And so you started to think, man, I can make a business out of this and start making uh, fun of the emperor having no clothes. Yeah. I mean, like I got, I mean, I was pretty apolitical in high school. Like I didn't have any political opinions. I didn't even really know anything about it really. I mean, other than, other than like some things, like I did have some kind of subversive tendencies. Like, like I was the kid that never stood for the pledge of allegiance just because I, I thought it was, I, I just thought it was like ridiculous. Um, and one time like a teacher confronted me about it and I just said, I'm an anarchist, which I didn't even, I, I didn't even really understand what an anarchist was. Wow, I just okay. listened to a lot of punk rock music and I, and I just didn't care. I thought it was like kind of groupthink and stuff like that. So, so I had, I had some opinions and I had some thoughts, but they weren't necessarily well fleshed out or mm. thorough by any means. And a lot of it was just because of music I listened to or whatever else. And then in college, you know, for me, I mean, I was in college around the same time Iraq was really ramping up and I was, you know, I, I guess a little older, um, comparatively speaking. And I was wondering, like, wait a second, I don't under why are we over there? Why are we in Iraq? This doesn't make any sense. 
And so then I started getting introduced to things like Noam Chomsky and I saw the documentary out Fox and I started just digging a little deeper and I really changed a lot. Like I really, really changed a lot within like that first like six months. Like I, like I got home, I got home from, uh, you know, like the first semester I came home for like winter break and the stuff I was saying, like, my family and people around me, they were like, holy shit, he's like into politics now. <laughs> you know, I mean, wow. So, you know, th that's why the the new, like the young generations really fascinate me a lot. Cause first of all, I think the Zoomers are kicking ass at taking names. I think they're awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. And, um, and I think it's just so interesting to me because I think for so many of us, and yeah, some people they're just paying attention very young because like maybe their parents were and that rubbed off on them or whatever but i think yeah. a lot of other people it's like usually something in the world happens that wakes mm. you up and yeah. this generation of young people every day that's happening you know what i mean like every day there's something right in their face that's like hey yeah. the world is messed up so yeah. i can only imagine i mean what happened to me in college i mean a i mean that happens to young people every day but mm -hmm. I feel like it has to be happening at, at such a faster pace now because of what's happening in the world. Like it just has to be where like kids are waking up constantly because they, they have no choice really. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, and, and it's interesting that you put it that way because when I, uh, when I was in my senior year, that's when 9-11 happened, right? Okay. And so, I I spoke about this on RBN on Sunday because that was the anniversary of 9-11, uh, the 21st anniversary. It's it's crazy that it's been 21 so years. So we're, we're pretty much the same age. Yeah, I just turned 38 in June. Okay, so I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm 37. So, okay. so we're basically, yeah, because I, I was, I think, a junior when 9-11. Yeah, all right. Oh, all right. Yeah, I didn't yeah. realize that. I didn't realize. Yeah. I, I didn't know how old you were. Yeah, you're yeah, you're you're a whippersnapper. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but um when it comes to when that happened, uh that was a big thing for a lot of us in our generation, right? For a lot of us millennials, yeah. Seeing that on screen was really our dive into propaganda as the as the people who were being propaganded what's the what's the right propagandized word? propagandized too but then a lot of us started seeing there was something just not right in the system something right. didn't seem just right yeah so then a lot of us started reading and a lot of us started looking objectively at outside sources that weren't uh being held up by the empire so to speak and so a lot of us were like wait a minute because a lot of us you know a lot of us, our parents are boomers. Some of us, our parents may have may have been Gen Xers. And so, you know, we kind of come out of that like, like, okay, so I was raised very religious, but in that we were also taught not to be too trusting of the government because, you know, there's some protections that they wouldn't afford people in the organization I was in. And so because of that, then I didn't have as much trust in the government. You know, it wasn't a blind trust, right? So for me, it was just like, something's not right. And so you kind of see that. And next thing you know, 
once you start hearing about other things, you know, especially how corporations and the government are really in cahoots with each other, then you start to just look at things, yeah. you know, in a different way. So, yeah. Totally. I mean, I, you know, it, and it really is a loss of innocence. I mean, when 9-11 happened, I was like really upset and concerned, you know, and I was like, well, I guess we, we have to do something and whatever our government decides to do is probably the right thing to do. Right. Aren't we the good guys? And um, yeah. I found out how wrong that was. And, and it, mm. it, you know, I mean, it's really it is a loss of innocence. I mean, you're taught that the U.S. is, is uh, you know, like like the good guy in the world and they're just trying to make the world a better place. Then you realize the opposite is true, like the complete opposite is true. We're, we're the worst actor on the world stage. That's not yeah. to say we're the only bad guy, but we are, I, I would argue, the worst. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's... Uh, it's a hard pill to swallow, but 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 once you're kind of jolted awake, like like that doesn't, you know, you just keep getting more and more, more and more awake to to certain things. Like like it's like okay, I'm awake to what the empire is really all about, but I feel like the Democratic Party is a more incremental way of building the type of world I want to build. Right? Oh wait, yeah. that's not true either. What? <laughs> is, <laughs> you know. I mean, because I, I used to think that, to be honest. I mean, I used to, I mean, I, once I had, like, I didn't have one of these things where it's like, I used to be a Republican and now I'm like, like, I did, I went from being just pretty much apolitical to not having any views whatsoever to, you know, being a pretty big lefty, but I still didn't really have like a structural awareness of what that meant and where that fit in in the United States. I mean, I did a little bit because I was just like, well, I don't think many people really see the world this way in the United States, uh, you know, especially compared to other countries, you know, because I, I went over. I mean, another big awakening for me was when I went to Italy for the first time. And, and I kind of, you know, like a lot of my family, they would say things like, why do you guys live the way you do in America? And I'm like, that's a damn good question. Why do we? Why do we work this freaking hard? Why do we like accept? Why don't we have health care? They have health care here. Why don't we have that? That's so effed up, you know, and, and then like you'd be told things like, oh, well, they have health care, but it's pretty. I mean, you don't want to. It's not great, though. It's not what we have here because because we have profit health care here. It's better because of that. That's what you're taught in the U.S. Then I went over to Italy and. Uh, first of all, like that's bullshit. That's all bullshit, obviously. But also I got to experience that firsthand as somebody who didn't know better. I, I got a sunburn when I was over in Italy. I know, I know you're probably shocked that that happened. To me. <laughs> <laughs> With that complexion, Ron, never would have thought. Uh, but, uh, but I, I got, I got a bad sunburn, right? I, I fell asleep on the beach and I wasn't, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I've been there, man. Um, I got you. <laughs> and so I got a pretty bad sunburn. I wanted to get like some kind of cream for it. Right. So mm -hmm. I go into the pharmacy. Now the pharmacies over in Italy and a lot of other European countries, they're a little more involved than the pharmacies here in the United States, where it's just like a place where like, Oh, they sell medicine and, and like, like random groceries and stuff. It has all that. I don't think they have groceries actually, but, but nonetheless, they sell medicine and stuff like that. But they also have like it, it's it's kind of more like pharmacies over there. It's like a little more of like a Med Express meets a pharmacy. And that's just a regular pharmacy over there, if that makes sense. Um, like they have doctors and stuff oh. a lot of the time. 
So I, I go in there and I say, Hole in Scotta Tour, I have a sunburn. And, um, you know, the woman there takes me into the, uh, into the office, like the doctor's office, basically. And the doctor looks at me and he tells me what level of burn that I have. Um, he advises me to maybe be more careful in the sun, which, uh, you know, and he spoke, um, it's funny, he spoke English. And then when he asked me what I was doing and I said, well, I'm a college student, I'm, I'm trying to get good at Italian. So he spoke Italian to me and then he would speak English and he taught me. So he not only did his job as a doctor, but he also gave me an Italian lesson. <laughs> nice. He didn't okay. have to do any of that. He could have just mm -hmm. been like, I'm just going to speak English because I don't have time. You know, your Italian's not strong enough to understand everything. Um, and uh, so he gave me two creams one was for the burn itself to heal the burn and the other one one was for the you know discomfort of like an aloe vera type thing basically nice. to, to, to soothe the burn um and i'm walking out and i'm like oh my god this is gonna cost me an arm and a leg i'm probably gonna have to like you know ask my parents to loan me some cash because i probably you know i was a college kid right studying abroad yeah. um i get to the checkout and I think the whole thing cost two euro. And the only reason it cost that much was because I wasn't a resident. I, I think for like a resident, that all just would have been free. You know, I, I mean, like, like not I don't think all medicine is like totally free, but these like just basic sunburn cream that just would have been probably free. And, and look, seeing the doctor spending time with me, that was free. Meanwhile, like here to like walk in the door of a Med Express is like a hundred dollars to like breathe inside of one of those places. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, so it was a really, and I'm like, oh, this is the this is the universal healthcare that's apparently not good. Uh, tell me more about what that's the treatment I got as a foreigner with a freaking sunburn, and I posted about this on my Facebook uh, one time. This was years ago. I just okay. posted about it. And I'm like, this is the type of treatment I got as a foreigner with a with a freaking sunburn. I can only imagine what they would do with someone who had an actual problem and wasn't just a, a, a goofball that fell asleep in the sun when they're like, you know, as pasty as a as a piece of chalk. You know what I mean? Like um, uh, and I was like, I can only imagine what that's like. And so people left a bunch of stories where they talked about, oh, I fell and broke my arm in Ireland and this and this happened. And they were just saying how amazed they were at the efficiency and the level of care and the the cheap cost wow. of healthcare over there. And these are as these are as foreign people, as people who are not natives of that country. Still, mm -hmm. the treatment that they got, you know, is better than what we get here. And I mean, that's why you have things like medical tourism and dental tourism in the United States, yeah. where people will literally go to other countries for care. And so that was something else that opened my eyes big time, man. And, and when I came back, I was a huge advocate for like single payer healthcare and stuff. Wow. And, and so by like 2008, I wasn't even, I mean, I eventually voted for Obama, but I wasn't thrilled about it. I was a big Dennis Kucinich guy because Dennis oh. Kucinich was for single payer and Barack Obama wasn't. And Dennis Kucinich was a big non-interventionist. Um, you know, Barack Obama really wasn't. Like, I knew the only non-interventionist on that stage was uh, was Dennis Kucinich and, and you know, Mike Ravel and then Ron Paul. 
you know, like I knew that. And and I knew that, well, politically, I agree with Dennis Kucinich and Mike Gravel a hell of a lot more than I agree with, you know, Ron Paul. But um, but so in 08, I was like not thrilled with like I wasn't one of these like, oh, my God, Obama's going to be our FDR. I was never that guy. I did vote for him. Um, gotcha. and, and I was like, Obama, but I remember saying to my girlfriend at the time, after I voted for Obama, I'm just like, I guess he's the centrist we need, you know, like that was what I thought. So, and, and that's why like, whenever Obama comes up, I'm just like, look, I'm one of those people who had timid expectations and he still didn't even meet my expectations. Never. I thought he was going to be a bridge to a more leftward direction. I really did think that. Because, yeah. you know, again, even though he wasn't my first choice, you know, I still liked the guy and I, and I still thought he was going to be the real deal and was going to govern, you know, a pretty fair hand and deliver on his promises. He didn't. Mm -hmm. We all know that. Yeah. We don't need to go. So it's like I feel like we're walking through all these, uh, you know, all these uh, all these levels of loss of innocence, like all these, you know, loss of innocence where there was just like, yeah. one, you know. Yeah. It's kind of like when um, when you're growing up and you look at your parents in a certain light, and you're like, man, they're they're wonderful. Well, OK, I'll put it this way for me growing up. I'll put it that way because not, not every kid has the same experience. But for somebody like me growing up, it was just like I it's like you kind of know your parents are imperfect. But you don't get the extent of how imperfect they are. It's almost like, for, to you, they're damn near perfect, right? Until you become a teenager and then you turn into adult. And then it's like, oh. Yeah, you realize they're human. Yeah. Yeah, like, I... I uh, sorry, I mean to... No, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 I was just going to say, like, like that. that's like a really awesome analogy like the only thing is i wish i had the same level of you know like love and acceptance for my government as i do for my parents you know like and, and, and granted I'm, I'm luckier than a lot of people because my parents are good people and i'm close to them um but you know it's like yeah there is a certain loss of innocence when you realize your parents don't walk on water totally but like for me, that lesson was just like, yeah, my parents are human, just like everyone else. My dad makes mistakes. My mom makes mistakes. And guess what? I'm going to make mistakes. That's part of being human, uh, you know, and, and that's cool. But um, I feel like with the government, it, it was a more severe loss of innocence than that because it was just like, oh, wait. Yeah, this isn't some imperfect structure. This is an absolutely corrupt, horrific structure. You know, I, I feel like like to make that parallel, it would be like discovering it's not discovering your parents aren't perfect. It's discovering your parents are serial killers. Yeah, I was you know about to I get mean? into that, but you beat me to the punch. But I was, I was about to get to that. And, and you're absolutely right. You know, it's just like, um, you know how you get those stories of you know, a little boy or a little girl and they grow up and they have a great relationship with their parents and then they find out that their parents stole them at birth from their actual parents. And it's like, wait, you're a kidnapper? You stole me? <laughs> it's like, what? 
It's like, what other things were you hiding? And you thought that, you know, and, and here's where we're taught as little kids. We're taught that, you know, and, and, and as a young black kid growing, growing up in, in the United States, of course, we're taught about slavery. But it is kind of, it's kind of cushioned a little bit. You know, unless you go to a predominantly black school like I did, right. <laughs> where some of the black teachers were like, hey, 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 hey. Look, it was bad. <laughs> All right. Don't, don't, don't believe that. Don't believe what they say. Don't believe the hype. Well, where, where did you, are you from Florida originally? No, I'm actually originally from New Jersey, but I live most of my oh. life here in Florida. Okay. Well, where did you, were you in school in New Jersey then, or where were you? No, I, I came down okay. here before I ever attended school ever. So, uh, so all of my education was here in Florida. One thing that, I mean, that's again, you know, I grew up in Pennsylvania and, and we were certainly not, I mean, yeah, we're definitely taught the whitewashed version of history, like, like pretty much everyone. But I think there are varying degrees of that because, so I have, I have cousins who grew up in South Carolina and, um, you know, because uh, because my uncle it was a professor down there and what they were taught about slavery was a lot different than what I was taught about mm. slavery. Not in, you know, like like I was taught a more honest version of it than they were like they were taught that, well, it, it wasn't really as bad as, as people make it out to be. And it wasn't really it was just sort of a thing and it wasn't really a big deal. Um, you know, I mean, probably not, not quite at that level, but, but, you know, like it, it, there was a lot of apologia going on. Whereas of course. what I was taught was more like, yes, it was terrible, but only the bad guys did it where it's like, like mm. they sort of glossed over the fact that it's like George Washington had slaves and you, you know what I mean? So, so there was sort of, there was still an apologia, but but there were there were a couple levels more, um, you know, going on in, in the experience that my family in the South had. I, I, I can't I'm not saying that speaks for everywhere in the South. I have no clue. But, you know, like like that's just one, um, you know, personal experience. But yeah, I, I think one thing that I can be grateful for is that. Uh, let me see. Uh, let me see. Kindergarten, let me see, kindergarten, first grade. For the most part, up until fifth grade, I went to a predominantly black school. Mm -hmm. Then in my fifth grade year, I went to a more evenly mixed school where it was evenly mixed between black, Latino, white, not too many Asians still. I do remember a classmate that I had, his name was Long Lee. For some reason, 28 years later, I still remember that name, but. Long Lee, if you're out there, I remember your name. Yeah, that's a memorable yeah. one. I like it. Yeah, but it was a cool. It's a cut. It's a cool name because it's so easy to remember. It's like Long Lee. Okay, cool. Um, but I think that was one of the things that I'm grateful for is that because I went to a predominantly black school with a lot of black teachers, they said, "Yeah, no, we're going to cover." you know, slavery, the way it actually happened. Right. Um, they can only do so much, though, because, you know, you got the school system on you. You know, they have to go according to the curriculum, so they can only go so as, as far. But they they made sure to 
push, you know, you know, things about uh, African American history, you know, to us that, you know, you wouldn't really get taught too much in the more affluent schools within the same, you know, city or same county. So that was something that I was grateful for. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there always are those like uh, sort of, you know, diamonds in the rough when it comes to just education in general, I I think throughout the entire country. I mean, my wife, you know, my wife grew up in Massachusetts and, um, you know, middle class family, but she grew up in the Cape Cod area where it's like you have a lot of just working class people who live there year round. And then a lot of, uh, you know, tourists who come in for the summer who have a lot of money you know, that some people who have a lot of money who do just kind of stay there. Um, and because it's the state of Massachusetts, the, you know, the public schools were, I guess, funded pretty well, comparatively speaking. And I remember she told me, like, she got to be part of, like, this history class where they, like, legit taught Howard's in. Like, they taught people's history of the United States, like, her junior year of high school. Wow. So wow. she was a lot more, like, emotionally... Um, I don't know if emotionally is the right way to put it, but but she was a lot more like it's funny when we talk about our responses to 9-11. I mean, you, you brought up 9-11. My mm-hmm. response to it was a lot more, you know, a lot less intellectually developed than hers was. She had an entirely different response. Uh, I mean, we didn't know each other back then, but, but it's like, you know, like we've, we've talked about it. And it's like she was kind of like, this is what we do in other countries all the time. She's like, I'm not saying this is good. This is terrible. What just happened. But we do this to other countries constantly. And this whole war on terror thing is bullshit. Like she was already there when she was because she got to have those types of classes and stuff. So, wow. Wow. She sounds based. (laughs) (laughs) She's cool. Yeah. I like her. I mean, I married her. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I need to meet Mrs. Placone. So she sounds like a really cool lady. So. She's a very um, cool lady, and she she does not go by Mrs. Placode. She'd be mad if I didn't point that out. But but yes, she's she's very very cool. Okay, the lady that is married to Ron. The lady that is married to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The one that said yes. <laughs> the one that said yes. Yeah, no, that was like a very. I know that's sort of a thing that sometimes can cause um, tension, and you know we talked about it very briefly. And I'm like, if you want to take my last name, you can. If you don't, don't. I don't care at all. It is totally your, you know, like, why would I? Yeah. I have no say in that, nor should I. And she's like, honestly, I just don't want to fill out all the paperwork. And I'm like, paperwork sucks. <laughs> Fuck it. You know, like. Yeah. Like, it's like, you know, yeah. I know some people, they're still very kind of, uh, I guess, maybe old fashioned is the the diplomatic proper way to put it. But yeah. Who gives a shit? I mean, I mean, you know, she said, like, maybe we should revisit it if we ever decide on kids. So there's like a unison last name for the kid. But, mm-hmm. you know, as of right now, we haven't decided uh, a yay vote on kids. And, and I think we're leaning towards no. We're probably not going to have them. So, you know, That's I mean, cool. who knows? In a couple of years, that, that might change. We might decide. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not, dude. I mm-hmm. mean, it's like, yeah, yeah. Well, we're solid, maybe. And I, I think we're leaning more towards no. But. Once we decide for sure, I'm going to get the old snippety snip. I think it's, you know, it's gotcha. a gentleman. Of course. Um, you know, and, and the thing is, I mean, I'm, I don't want to veer too far because I want to get to my next question. But, I mean, 
the whole taking of a last name is sort of antiquated, you know? Yes. And it's like, it hurts. like... And, and, and plus, I mean, <laughs> I'm gay, and my boyfriend, if, if we were to ever get married, I would probably, just for ease of having to pronounce last names, I would probably want to take his last name instead because I'm just like, yeah. I don't want to have to make you have to correct every single time that somebody needs to say Fauntleroy. Like, what? What? That's yeah. too much work. I mean, hey, and, and there's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Like, that's totally, yeah. I mean, hey, I have another friend. Uh, her last name was Seaman. And so when she got married, she's like, yep, taking your name. Fill it out that paper. And, and that's that's fine. You know, it's like that's totally fine. Like, like I, I don't think oh, I don't think anyone should be judged for it one way or another, whatever they decide to do. I think if a man decides to take the woman's name, that's mm -hmm. fine in a, you know, like in a man woman marriage or whatever. I, I, I mean, I think two people should be able to do whatever they want to do. And, and I think yeah. if you want to get married, you know, because then other people. You know, like they kind of just bash the idea of marriage in general. And it's like, why do you need a piece of paper and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I don't need a piece of paper. It's just something that my now wife and I decided we wanted to do. And and so you make it special to you. It's not the piece of paper that makes it special. It's what it means to you. And if you want that, that's fine. If you don't want that, that's fine, too. I know people, they've been together for 20, 30 years. Um, you know, they're not married because they, they choose not to get married. They don't want to get married. That's totally cool. Other people wanted to, that's fine. Whatever you want to do with names, who cares? I, I mean, well, you know, like, like not who cares, like, well, fuck you, but, but who cares? Like, Hey, that's your business. Whatever makes you happy is cool with me. You know, like, mm -hmm. yeah. What makes you happy? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry I'm, I'm not going to make your ears bleed with my. Horrible singing. I'm not going to do that. You, I'm you sorry. Voice, my friend. Nobody disputes your beautiful voice, be it singing or otherwise. <laughs> the jury's still out on that one, Ron. <laughs> Ooh. If anyone has a problem with your voice, they're just wrong. I mean, there's no, I mean, some things are really that simple. I mean, you know, you've got a very yeah. smooth, soothing voice. Thank I, you. I have a more grating voice. I can see how some people like don't like they're not a fan of my voice you know but that's just i mean this is just what i got i'm sorry but yours <laughs> there's no disputing you you got a you got a beautiful voice no no you give great conversation and that's the part of the appeal that i that i absolutely enjoy and so i appreciate it but i do want to get to my 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 actually my core question that i <laughs> the damn the conversation is too good we just flow, man. Like, it's great. Oh, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, back at you. It's fun. Yeah. What the hell is Antitrust Summer? Oh, Antitrust Summer is a beautiful thing. So there's a couple things going on. Uh, I'll get to, like, the main core of Antitrust Summer first. So mm -hmm. there is a um, – there's two bills floating around in Congress, and they are two pieces of antitrust legislation. One of them was written by, um, by Amy Klobuchar and Chuck Grassley, which – I will be honest up front. Amy Klobuchar has definitely had some misses on tech policy before. Mm -hmm. This isn't one of them, though. This is a good bill. It is a good antitrust bill. And what it does is it stops um, it stops Amazon and Google from prioritizing their own content over other content. See what Amazon and Google does. Like we'll, we'll use Google as an example first. 
when you search something on Google, you will get pages of results that is all Google's own results. They do what is called data scraping from other pages and they package it as their own. So what that does is it stops other websites from getting traffic, which could hurt their ability to sustain themselves. This is not okay to do. It should be illegal. Technically, they're stealing. But right now, there's not a lot we can do about it. This antitrust bill uh, breaks that up. It stops them from doing that. Over at Amazon, um, what Amazon will do is they will harvest your data, which they shouldn't be able to do that automatically. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. they will use that data to push generic products at you that they <clears throat> And they will also list their generics over other products. So say you're looking for like a designer bag or something like that. You're mm -hmm. likely not going to find that actual designer until the third page. What you are going to get is two to three pages of Amazon's generics. Oh, and how do they know what generics to make? They harvest people's data to know what people want to buy. So they're basically oh. just, just crippling any other online vendors. So those antitrust bills. And then the other antitrust bills has to do with apps. And it allows third-party and alternative apps to work on people's phones. And it stops the high commission rates that organizations like Apple charge independent apps. So... This is some good antitrust legislation. It's the best antitrust legislation we've seen in over 40 years in this country. And these bills have a lot of bipartisan support, which usually bipartisan support means that uh, the Republicans have a really bad idea and the Democrats are help happy to help them sell it or vice versa. In this case, though, it's actually a good bipartisan thing because it means that whether you are on the right, on the left, or in between, a lot of us know that big tech is BS, that big tech is doing all kinds of terrible things, and that just this needs to be broken up. So this is good, bipartisan, in a good way, legislation. That is a huge, huge step in a better direction in breaking up big tech. These bills do have the votes to pass, according to multiple reports from Reuters, according to Amy Klobuchar. Here's the stipulation. Chuck Schumer has to bring these bills to a vote. Chuck yeah. Schumer has a daughter who lobbies for Amazon and another daughter who lobbies for Meta, which is Facebook. Guess who's against these bills? Big tech. In fact, they've spent $95 million and counting trying to kill these bills. So Chuck Schumer promised to vote in June. Now he promised to vote in the fall. The clock is ticking. And there's a good chance if we wait until after the midterms, this bill ain't going get to a, get a vote. Although Amy Klobuchar has said she's still confident it could because there's enough Republican support for this bill. So, so you can go to antitrustsummer.com and you can sign to help support these bills. Now, what's going on in the world at large that really makes these bills especially important? Well, Amazon recently had some of their most dangerous mergers yet. First of all, they merged with iRobot, which is the company that makes the cameras and Roombas. So basically, Amazon, they do all that data harvesting I just mentioned. Now they're going to be able to see exactly what's in your freaking house. Isn't that great? We're living in Wally, folks. But here's the more dangerous merger, Jay. They just merged with One Medical. What's One Medical? Well, that's a healthcare company that specializes heavily in telehealth. Memberships started about $199 a year. So why do you think Amazon is getting involved with healthcare? Well, what did Amazon do with Amazon.com at the beginning? They tried to sell books online and they operated at a loss as long as they needed to until they monopolized the market. Amazon is now responsible for half, over half of all online commerce. 
Jeff mm-hmm. Bezos is going to try to do the same thing in healthcare. He has mm-hmm. unlimited cash. He's going to operate one medical at a loss for as long as he needs to until he monopolizes our predatory healthcare system. Our healthcare system is already the most predatory in the freaking world. You know what would somehow make it even worse? If Jeff Bezos had a freaking monopoly on it. This is the guy that allows his workers to pass out from heat exhaustion. In fact, in New Jersey, your old homeland, three workers died in July. They died because of warehouse conditions. You want this psychopath monopolizing your health care? What do you think he's going to do if he has health care monopolized and he gets to decide what medicine you can and can't get, what medicine insurance does or doesn't give you? What do you think is going to happen? That is going to be dystopian on a level that even our predatory system can't imagine. So we got to start breaking this stuff up for for the good of our freaking humanity, right? I mean, so a a good way to start, antitrustsummer.com. It takes less than 40 seconds to sign this petition. We need to keep the pressure on them because guess what? These politicians, they don't want to do something that would piss off their big tech lobbyists. We know this. But you know what else they don't want? They don't want to lose their jobs. So if we're so freaking loud that they can't ignore us, they're going to pass these bills. So please, antitrustsummer.com, be so loud they can't freaking ignore us. Please. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, going on? And that's the thing, you know, uh, just, to, just to say one last thing on this. You know, one of the things that I'm really is part of my personal mission, because people who know me and, and I'm sure a lot of your viewers uh, may already know this about me. I'm a huge proponent for digital rights. I'm a big net neutrality guy. I'm a big municipal broadband guy. One of the reasons I am that way is not just because, you know, they're important issues that are interesting to me, but also because uh, I see the connection, no pun intended, between digital rights and labor rights. We just went over yeah. some of that between digital rights and climate change. Look, in our global village, we need everyone to have strong Internet. You know, yeah. and that that's especially important when it comes to climate because that gets more cars off the road. Um, so, you know, I see connections between digital rights. I see the connections between digital rights and war and peace, because without an information superhighway like the Internet, how are we going to get the truth about what's really going on in the Middle East? What's really going on in Russia, in Ukraine? And you get the idea. So so it's like we need a strong, free and open Internet. So. You know, I, I see the connection between digital rights and all these other issues. Well, just to add on to that, I mean, look, and, and this, uh, I, I put the link in the chat for everybody, but Thank you. I, I, I want to hammer this home. Those of us who are really doing what you and I do, as well as those of us who may not be in the the, the commentator space or in the media space, but who are trying to do activism or you know doing communications in order to uplift our our areas the neighborhoods and different causes we use the internet in order to be able to do this right look what happened to the african people's socialist party uh a few weeks ago the week before the fbi raid on donald trump's home in mar-a-lago they infiltrated the african people's socialist party and the thing is that what were they doing they were actually organizing to do many different things for their community. And then next thing you know, because you have a lot of these companies that are monopolies and then they employ 
people from the national security state even into into their companies, they're able to use those apparatuses to really hamper down on those of us who are really trying to uh, uplift the poor and the workers. So really, it behooves us to, you know, to uh, want to break up these companies because that's what's going on. And, and in fact, um, I was talking to Z from um, from the People's Voice Network as well as my boyfriend. They're gamers. And another friend, Sean, my friend Sean, he's, who's also a, game, a gamer too, they were talking about how um, Activision Blizzard is about to be bought up it might be bought up by microsoft Mm -hmm. meaning that the monopoly even in the gaming industry which i kind of link with big tech is also going to be taking that over and so then you got to start thinking about well not just the quality of things like for instance our internet and things like that but what about the people who work in these industries you know if there's if that's the only game in town then workers won't be treated as well. They won't be able to unionize because it's like, well, where are you going to go? You can't, you know. So it's really just a means of making sure that the people have the power instead of these big, you know, corporate conglomerates having power. Um, and linked, even linked into, embedded, I should say, into the antitrust summer uh, website was an episode from last week tonight with John Oliver when he was talking about how AT&T used to be a big, you know, giant. Yeah, so, and, yeah. and that that's a brilliant segment. I mean, I I definitely don't agree with every single take John Oliver has, but but his stuff on on uh, digital rights, he usually gets that very very good. Like his net neutrality segment was awesome mm-hmm. and his antitrust segment is awesome. Um and yeah, he talks about how when AT&T was broken up, which that that's the when I'm saying this is the best antitrust legislation we've had in over 40 years. That's the 40 years I'm referring to. AT&T was broken up in the 80s. And when they were broken up, I mean, they used to have a dictatorship uh, pretty much on our phone lines. Mm-hmm. And what happened when they got broken up? I mean, and, and I'm sure, you know, again, you and I as elder millennials, we're old enough to remember when a long distance phone call cost an arm and a leg. Oh yeah. I mean, you remember like, like your parents would have the stopwatch job when you were on a long distance call with someone in the family, like you got 60 seconds, go. Cause it was so freaking expensive. And then now (laughs) no one can imagine what that was. Well, people can't imagine a landline even, but you know, you get the idea that they can't imagine that being the case. And it's because AT&T had this monopoly. So when they broke up AT&T, all of a sudden long distance calling became way more affordable we got mm-hmm. inventions like the answering machine. We got inventions like the modem, which helped help build the internet as we know it today. Yeah. So the truth is, is like without antitrust legislation, we don't even know the potential that mm. the internet has. We don't even know what we could be missing beyond Google, beyond YouTube, beyond Facebook, beyond Amazon, because right now we're kind of being stifled down. I mean, right now we're in the AT and T zone you know like like we're in the at&t in the 80s zone where we can't imagine a long distance phone call not costing an arm and a leg and the blood of your firstborn now yeah. we know how ridiculous that was well i want to help build an internet that is a invaluable tool and a super information highway that has limitless potential 
I don't want it to continue to descend into the capitalist surveillance hellscape that it's like starting to go towards. So, you know, again, antitrustsummer.com. And, you know, you mentioned the, the, the mergers. We have an FTC in this country. They're supposed to kind of enforce this stuff, except when it comes to Time Warner and when it comes to uh, Discovery and HBO and when it comes to Amazon and iRobot slash One Medical. Time and time again, they seem to be sleeping at the wheel. Uh, so, you know, we really do got to fight for policies that start breaking this up. And it's up to us to do it because the government doesn't want to do it. We have to make them. Yeah. And that's the thing. We have to make them do it. Uh, yeah. Um, that was great. Thank you so very much. Um, you know, uh, basically do what uh, I guess there was the the reputation of Teddy Roosevelt back then because he was called the trust buster. Yeah. Uh, so. Well, that's the interesting but, thing too. Like um, the AT&T bust happened under Reagan. So, I mean, you can get, you can still get good policy through, even if you like, even if the people that are like at the top aren't so great. Like, cause some people, they're just like, well, Chuck Schubert's so terrible. It's just like, yeah, he is terrible. So let's make him do something he doesn't want to do. He doesn't want to do this, but if he doesn't have a choice, he's going to do it. You know, like, like, so, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you can still get good antitrust policy through, you know, even if like the powers that be are not ideal. Cause guess what? The powers that be are never going to be ideal. You know, if you're going to yeah. wait until you love who's controlling the Senate to fight for policy that's worth fighting for, you're going to be waiting forever. Because, like, what, Mitch McConnell, that was your guy? Chuck Schumer, he's great? None of them are great. You know, like... Yeah. Yeah. You, 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 you got to scare them. You got to scare them. I mean, that, you gotta that's scare the way it works. It, it, yeah. So... Yeah. It, and then if we make a threat, then we have to we have to follow through. It's like, yeah, okay, so uh, we're going to protest at your house, then. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and, and, and we're you gonna know. you're gonna lose your job. I, I mean, really, like it, it's FDR didn't give us the New Deal because he was a nice guy who just felt like uh, you know giving you know doing that. He gave us the New Deal because he looked outside and he knew he didn't have a freaking choice. He knew that the the socialists and the communists and the anarchists, and the working class and the unions, everybody was pretty united. And they were saying, we're not going to take it anymore. So he told his rich friends, you can either give up a little bit or everything, your choice. And we got the new deal. So, you know, I mean, that's just how change works in this country. That's how change works in, in any empire, really. Whenever you have a straight up oligarchy and a straight up plutocracy where the rich call all the shots, which is what we live under. You know, people could sugarcoat it or put a bow on it if they want to, but I don't, and it, you don't. Like, so you gotta just, you know, fight back with what little you have, which is your labor, and yeah. you know, so. Yeah, definitely. Um, I do have a couple questions. Uh, if you have time, I don't. Yeah, yeah. Shout out a few more. Okay. All right. So this one, uh, I think I've. I'm not sure. Have I ever asked you this? I don't know. I, I still want to ask you, though, just in case. But um, this is a hypothetical question. So you are president of the United States. You're President Placone, right? It's January 20th. God help you all. 
Oh, yes, yes, yes. God help us because we are going to party like it's 1990. <laughs> <laughs> Chandeliers will never be the same again. Anyway, <laughs> but <laughs> what are your first? <laughs> Gosh, I'm so stupid. <laughs> Why the hell people watch this show? Oh, goodness. What are your first three actions you're taking as president within your first 100 days? Oh, man, you gave me three. So that that's uh, nice. Uh, the, yeah. first, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to end all the wars immediately. And mm -hmm. I'm going to stop our aggressive actions all around the world. Uh, and I'm going to try to get a uh, basically a worldwide truce on just trying to be stewards to the earth. And make mm -hmm. that be, you know, like, like the, the world pursuit instead of endless war for oil. So uh, to help that along, my second thing is I'm going to uh, enact a true Green New Deal, not the co-opted one, but a true eco-socialist Green New Deal that is going to heavily invest on getting off of fossil fuels entirely um, mm -hmm. as soon as absolute possible. It's not going to be like by 2035, we'll all have a car that you charge. No, no, no. We're done with fossil fuels. It's over. So this is going to exclude, include, excuse me, an extensive, uh, rail that goes all over the country. Uh, this mm -hmm. is going to include some of the type of power grid islands, like what they're building in Denmark that will have the power to, uh, you know, generate enough energy for millions of homes and it's completely, you know, solar and renewables. Um, so we're going to really make a huge investment there. Uh, the third thing I would do, Medicare for all. We're getting, we're getting universal health care. Um, you know, and then from there to tag on to that Green New Deal, you know, that Green New Deal is going to include uh, quality, real municipal broadband all around the country, which we could pay for many times over. Um, so, yeah. So that, that Green New Deal is going to have a lot of stuff. Some of it's not even going to be. Some of it goes beyond stuff that's in the the real one now. So those would be the three things I would do. Nice. I appreciate that. Uh, that's a pretty good list. Um, so what is something that you plan on doubling down on this year and going into next year? Well, be a little more specific. Like, do you mean like a creative project or do you mean like a policy I'm, I'm passionate about? Or do you mean like? Like, like what, what exactly do you mean doubling down on? Yeah, my apologies. I can clarify. So a lot of times people typically have, you know, resolutions for a new year. Okay. Things are going to change, things that they're going to improve on. But I want to know what you're going to stick to and what you're going to double down on. Oh, okay. Um, All right. So that's what I mean. It's like, it's like, no, I'm not going to change this. I'm doubling down because this needs to be talked about or this needs to be done. Well, I'm going to, well, I mean, as far as things that need to be done, but I, I got to finish my freaking movie. I, I, you know, I, I've been working on a movie. It is a long, I think a lot of people, like, they didn't realize how long making a movie takes in most cases. Because, <laughs> like, I've gotten the, I, I'm no, at the moment, I'm not actively seeking funding for it because I was and like a bunch of people like they would not a bunch but like some people they would give and then a couple of months later they were just like where's this movie you lied to us and I'm like it takes a long time <laughs> like it's like you thought this was going to be done in a couple months this is yeah this isn't a podcast it's a freaking movie like yeah um uh, so right now I mean I have some money to start so I'm gonna start see how far I get and then try to raise the rest however much that's gonna be um, so 
I, I really need to, you know, up the ante on, on getting this movie made. It's just not team building is incredibly hard. I didn't realize how hard it was going to be until I had to do it. Um, because especially here in L.A., dude, because like you would think, well, there's so many filmmakers and stuff in L.A. It's got to be easier, right? Surprisingly, no, because in other cities like, like Orlando or wherever else, the filmmaking scene is a little bit more of a community here. It's a little bit more of I'm looking over my shoulder and I'm see I'm wondering how this will help me in the long run. And I'm wondering who your network consists of. You know, it, it's very much Hollywood. You know, I, I think when I say it's very Hollywood, people know what that means, even if they've never spent time in, in Hollywood, per se. So I'll just go with that. It's very Hollywood here. And it's very like it's hard to find the right person where it's like, do I want to be making a film with you where we're going to be on set together 12 hours a day? Are you genuinely interested in this project or are you just trying to are you just trying to like get a quick IMDb credit or you know what I mean? Like, like it's like there's so much. And I've worked with people on other projects where I've realized like, okay, I can't, I just can't deal with you because of, you know, like superficial bullshit. But nonetheless, it's like, I think we're done here, you know, like, so, so that's hard. And like, it's really hard. Uh, so I really need to figure that out and, and get the right formula going to try to capture lightning in a bottle to get this movie done. Um, so that's something I'm going to be doubling down on. Uh, I did finish a short film this year that will be out for everyone soon. It's out for patrons now. If you're one of my patrons, which is uh, patreon.com slash code for Give What You Can Level, you can watch my short film now. It's a film called Loner. And uh, it's actually like a like a short pilot, you know, like, like it's supposed to be a series. So, uh, you know, I'm going to like spread the pilot to the world and hope that somebody wants to buy the series. But um but yeah, that is finished. Uh, so that's going to be out for the world soon. Uh, but, you know, my movie is kind of the next project. So I really need to double down on that. And then after I'm done with that, I think I'm going to try to do like a like a special or something. So so that's something I'm going to be doubling down on within the next year. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's my answer. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And, you know, just let me know. You know, when you're pick, you know, going back, you know, come back on, we'll promote the movie. And, you know, because I, I saw the preview. I like what I saw. I love well, the premise. You. Thank you. Uh, it, it's really cool. And so I think that it just shows the collective action of people, you know, in, in a movie. Like, yeah, like it, it, it's some I'll put it this way. It's some Boots Riley type shit which is good you know if you ever seen you yeah if you ever seen a boots riley movie you know like sorry to bother you is a boots riley movie yeah. that was a great movie so this is on that same level that i i think especially the premise of the movie i think that you know it'll be something i think something that needs to be made so i i appreciate I'm, I'm that man and, and i i definitely appreciate the boots riley uh you know like like observation because i as somebody you know like a lot of times in this town people will ask you like well if you had to have like what's a career you're kind of chasing not that you want to be like that person but you want to kind of have the the wheelhouse that they have yeah. and for me like like boots riley is like one of the top answers i mean that guy he creates what he wants to create on his terms 
And, you know, like he kind of has carved out his own piece of pie in the industry. And uh, that's awesome. I would love I mean, that's what I'm trying to do. You know, it's like like that's what I'm trying to do. I just Mm -hmm. don't have that to the point where I can just make anything I want to make when I want to make it. Uh, you know, I could, if money didn't exist, but because it does, (laughs) because like this needs to be a sustainable thing and the people who help me create it need to eat and need to be paid, you know, like, and I need to eat and pay my bills. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, you gotta kind of find a sustainable way to do it. And, and Boots Riley has accomplished that because he's just, you know, big enough to be able to do that. And so, that's the type of career I, I would love to have. That's awesome. Yeah. So this one's going to be a, um, a, 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 <laughs> a fun question. What is one food that Ron Placone cannot live without? Oh, just one. I mean, if I got to pick one, I got to go pasta. But I could, I mean, I could give you a, a decent tiramisu would be on that list. You know, I mean, you know, I'm Italian American, so. But I, I think pasta for me is like, I'm, I am, I mean, I guess you could say I'm probably addicted to it. You know what I mean? As far as like, like I will be, if I don't have like some type of heavy carb like that and, and what I try to do, cause it's not the healthiest thing. I try to have like a big carb load at the beginning or lunchtime in the day. And then for dinner, I try to be more like just sort of like veggie protein centric. You know what I mean? Um, so, but yeah, I couldn't live without. I mean, pasta is a food group for me. It shouldn't be. It's not good for me. But there are worse <laughs> spices than pasta. Um, yeah. So, you know, and, and in moderation, it's healthy. But I'm not in moderation. <laughs> like I eat a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I, I eat a lot of it and, and I love it. And I, I have I have some dishes that I'm pretty proud of. You know, if you're ever if you're ever visiting me and you want me to cook some stuff for you, I would uh oh. I would definitely I would definitely flex my culinary muscle with some things and I would hope that it impressed you, you know. Um, oh oh Ron, do not do not do not threaten me with a good time. Hey man, don't, don't you're, you're do welcome. it. You're welcome anytime, dude. I live in the South Bay. It's really nice here. Um, you know, I'm right by the beach. So, uh, you know, oh, anytime, man, you're welcome anytime. I mean, I know you, you live, Orlando's a really pretty place too, but, but yeah, but yeah, eh. yeah. <laughs> I'm walking distance to the beach. I know you don't have that in Orlando. <laughs> no, no, dear God, pasta in the beach. Ron, that's what I got, man. That is totally what I got. I mean, that's my day. I live in San Pedro, which is which is, uh, you know, it's it's technically the little Italy of Los Angeles. So it's like, yeah, that that's sort of a big we got pasta in the beach. That's like a big and punk rock music. So so my neighborhood, I am in the right neighborhood for me. I, I always say, you know, as much as I am very frustrated with the United States yeah. and frustrated is an understatement. Uh, if I ever left, I, I would have a hard time finding a neighborhood that fits me better than San Pedro, California. <laughs> yeah, I w- you know what? You you better let your cat know that they're gonna have to share their bed with me because I'm moving in. <laughs> She'll be thrilled. She'll be like a new human to give me attention. I am so stoked. That that's like her favorite thing. We yeah, your cat- like we have house sitter. Well, we try to have house sitters. Um, you know, which again, like, like, it's like, it's a cool neighborhood. So a lot of times our friends are just like, yeah, we'll, we'll come over. Like, you know, like, like just give us the Wi-Fi. But, um, 
but yeah, we, we try to make sure she always has a human there because she's more we've even like and I know some cats are the total opposite of this. But Lucy's been the cat where it's like if we bring her to somebody's house and it's a human that she's like she likes and she's familiar with, she will be happier there, even though it's like a foreign environment to her. The human's not foreign. So she will be happier there than she would be at home by herself. Mm. She doesn't like being by herself. So, yeah, mm. it's like like we either try to have somebody stay at our place when we go out of town or we will like at times we will bring her to somebody else's place and then pick her up. It's almost like like she's almost like a kid kind of. Well, does she look at us as humans or worshipers? Because I know cats kind of they kind of see themselves as gods. I know, right? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, she definitely has, it was the the funniest thing, like, so, um, you know, there's a, I do a big dinner at my place every uh, every Christmas Eve. It's, it's like a tradition I grew up with growing up. So I kind of do my own version of it in California. And, and I usually just have some like close friends and whoever's around over. And uh, the last time we did it, it's like Lucy was like, she literally sat in a chair and sat in the middle of everybody on the chair. And everyone just got the biggest kick out of it. They're like, dude, she like legit. She's like hosting right now. Like she's legit. Because, <laughs> yeah, that's just the type of cat she is. She's a very like social outgoing cat. And yeah, so nice. I, I like how we got from like food to my cat. But that's just that's just how I roll. Nice. I appreciate that. <laughs> also, uh, what is your favorite cuss word? Oh, I'm going to have to go with, uh, can I pick a, uh, can I pick one in Italian? Yes. I would yeah. love to learn one. Please teach me. I really like merda. Uh, merda. M-E-R-D-A. But you would say like merda. 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 And that means shit. Um, but I just love, I love, like, I've, I've totally, um, my cousin Carmen and I, when he first came to the United States, he, I, I was the only one who kind of spoke Italian in my family. Um, I guess I still am, but like, um, so sometimes we would just say grossly inappropriate things to each other and no one else knew what we were saying. <laughs> And, it. and and it's like you know like so we would say like like we would just be like chichone de merda, which means like which means like basically like you 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 like you big piece of shit basically, and and we would just say that to each other and it would be like people would think and like it was just like, um, but when I was first in Italy I saw this sign and it said Americani di merda, which means like a America of shit. And I just thought that was so I took a picture of it, you know, like I thought it was just so badass that like, you know, other countries are shitting on us for what we're doing in Iraq and we deserve it. So like like I, I love to I love to be like a merda, you know, like like when I like my family is going to ask me my Italian family. They're going to be like, oh, so how are things in America? And I'll be like, Americani di merda, Americani di merda, Biden di merda, you know, like. <laughs> So that's my favorite curse word. I like saying shit. That's my favorite. If I had to just pick one, I like a lot of them. I don't think I've ever met. Well, I take that back. I, I've met a few curse words I haven't liked, but uh, but but most of them, I most of them, I'm fond of. Nice. Okay. All right. And this is my final question. This is going to be a deep one. Are you ready, Ron? 
I'm ready. All right. So you've lived a long life and you're reflecting on that life you lived. What is the one thought you want people to remember about you before you die? Wow, man, that's an amazing question. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase something that I think Harvey P. Carr said first. Life hmm. is about love, gigs, and being creative. Um, I hope that that is what people take away from me. I hope they're just like, Ron was a big fan of love. He was a big fan of being creative, and, and that was kind of what life was all about to him. And gigs, you can kind of like interpret in different ways. I mean, that can mean like travel or just being intellectually curious. Um, you know, in my case, sometimes it's in the literal sense, like like doing stand up and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, I, I hope at the end of the day, that's what people take away from me. That was beautiful. Aw, thank you. Man, man. <laughs> man. And the, between that, that beautiful thought and then the whole thing about pasta, I would love to talk more about that with you over a, 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 a plate of carbonara. Because I oh, really want to, I want to try that so bad. You never had it? No, hey, dude, no. They have it in Orlando. Go try it. I, <laughs> I'm broke in Orlando. Oh, right. Um, right. well, <laughs> but I, I'll send you a recipe if you want. Uh, carbonara is not my specialty, but mm -hmm. my cousin who lives in Bologna, that's his signature. He makes a mean carbonara. Um, right. Yeah. So, so yeah, I definitely, I, I could make one for you, but it's not, if you wanted me to make like some of my flexes for you, um, I make a very good, um, peas and prosciutto, which, um, Ooh. I can make that and, and I can do a vegan version of it. If you are non-dairy, I can do a pescatarian version of it, uh, or just regular, you know, whatever people's dietary needs are, I can accommodate, you know, when I do my thing on Christmas Eve, you know, it, it, it kind of stereotypical Los Angeles fashion. There are some people who are gluten free. There are some vegans. And I, you know, I accommodate everybody like there's always and it's marked. And, and I don't mind adjusting my dishes to to, you know, suit everybody. But um, but yeah, but that is like my kind of signature dish. And it's like a three cheese sauce with like herbs and then peas and then the protein can be either just regular prosciutto or um you know like whatever you want like i can do smoked salmon with it if you're a fish person or i can do a vegan version of it if you don't eat you know any animal product and um you know and, and of course i can use non-dairy cheeses too if you're a vegan or whatever and uh i do it with linguine and uh, yeah, that's that's kind of like my signature. And then the other signature I have is um, it's a little bit of a fusion dish, but I've been working on it for many, many years. I'm a little proud of my basil fried rice, which is, uh, you know, it's kind of like a Thai Italian fusion the way I make it. And, um, you know, you can do it with seafood, which I've definitely done, you know, especially like living in the harbor like I do. You know, I've done it with like, you know, local scallops and shit um, or I can just do it straight up you know i could do it with soy or aminos um but yeah that's like those are like those are two of like my big signatures you know so i'm kind I'm of so glad. i don't know if you didn't like them it, it would it would it would hurt i'd be like oh man because uh yeah and it, it's it, they are kind of so i've been doing the um 
the uh, the Christmas Eve meal, which is technically it's like a seven. It's like a it's like an Italian Catholic thing. Uh, yeah. I don't practice any religion, but I just grew up with the meal and I, and I just always loved it. So I like I do my own version of it in California and introduce like my friends to it and stuff. Um, but uh, but I guess like my basil fried rice has gotten a little bit of a reputation because some people commonly refer to that gathering as Ron's rice party. Because that's like usually the thing we run out of first because like people did like it. So, yeah. Anyway, if you're, if you're ever in SoCal on Christmas Eve. <laughs> Ron, I am so glad I brought you here. Especially now that we're talking about food because I haven't eaten today. Yeah, I'm actually due for a little lunch myself. It's a little earlier here at uh, here in California. So, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm primed for a little bit of lunch. And uh, yeah, so. I feel you, man, man. Oh, we've got to get into the kitchen together, dude. We've got to, dude. Anytime, man. And yeah, oh, I man. know if you're ever traveling out to SoCal, you, you know, look me up. And and yeah, you're welcome to crash here anytime you want. We uh, you know, um, yeah, I I got a nice little. I mean, San Pedro is kind of away from a lot of the thick of things, which can kind of be a good thing or a bad thing depending on what you're looking for. But it's like, it's a cool pad to just sort of spend your time in because it's like you know you got the beach you got good places to eat you got a good bar scene and that's all in walking distance here so you know i don't know i feel like i feel like i'm doing a commercial <laughs> but it's like it's funny my parents my parents are like so not southern california people like they're like just the most anti cali southern california people like, like it's just oh not God. their thing but wow they really love San Pedro now. Cause it's like, whenever they come visit, we don't really leave cause we don't have to, cause they, they don't want to go to Hollywood. They don't want to, you know, they like a nice beach cause you can't get that in Pittsburgh and they like a good meal, which we don't have to leave the neighborhood to get. So, you know, they kind of like, and they stayed at like this super hippie Bohemian esque Airbnb where like these people have like sort of like a, a boarding house type situation. And then they have this side room that they use for Airbnb guests. And they're mm. always like, here's some fresh mango that we got from a local blah, blah, blah. Here's some, here's some blue ahi that one of the guys who lives there is a fisherman that he caught, you know? So like my, my parents are all like, they went from being these like total anti Southern California people to being like, we're kind of part of San Pedro now. I mean, we don't live here. Our son does, but we're kind of part of it. You know, we go to this Airbnb and that's our jam. My dad wears this like San Pedro shirt and stuff. So. Yeah. I mean, we we're originally from Pennsylvania, but we like to go to San Pedro now. Yeah, it's we kind eat of like, like the, the fish with the mahi with yeah. the mango salsa. So, you know, yeah. I say we're transplants, man. Yeah. 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 They, like they visit once or twice a year. They're like, yeah, we're kind of part of it. We're part of it. And, the, and they're kind of right. I mean, it's not like it's like uh, it's not a super touristy part of L.A. Like, it's not like, yeah. you know, a tourist going to L.A. is going to be like, I got to go to San Pedro. You know, they're going to be like, I got to go to Santa Monica or Malibu or whatever. And, you yeah. know, all those places are very pretty, too. But, you know, we, we kind of got our own our own little thing going on here in the South Bay. So nice, nice. Yeah, I, I had a friend I was visiting out there. He lived in Westminster. Um, and so uh, I had visited him out there. And uh, man, I, all I gotta say is the donut shops, dude. It's, oh it's the yeah, donut, the donut shops. Yeah, 
Yeah, that that's that's a big thing. And and then like burgers are like a really big deal in LA. Like burgers, tacos, and donuts. Those are like the big like 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 there's there's actually this place in Highland Park. It's a vegan donut shop. Um but they're vegan they're they're they're, they're vegans. The vegans, I'm sure, are very delicious, but the donuts also delicious. Um, mm. Yeah, and it's also like a punk rock. It has like a punk rock theme about it. Like they're like they have this uh, they have this chocolate donut called Fudge Gazi, which is like a play on the band Fugazi. And like all their donuts are like named after these different like bands or like are nods to these different bands, and they are so unbelievably good. Like like they're 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 just like some of the greatest donuts. Period. You know, because a, a lot of like the non like a lot of the stuff we put in some of our baked goods is just sort of stuff that just makes it heavy and, and doesn't really enhance the flavor. So like a, a lot of vegan baked goods are actually quite good because they just don't have any of those heavier things. You know, I mean, sometimes like sometimes like a non-dairy milk or a non-dairy butter can can be uh, add a little bit of a difficulty. But like their donuts are just amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna make my way out there. Um, Anytime, man. Let me, look up, let me look up some flights. You know, <laughs> those probably aren't gonna be there. too pretty at the moment. But yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it'll eventually all go down again. I, I I hope. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully, you know. Uh, but I I know that airlines tend to be pretty monopolized too. As we were talking about that earlier. Oh so, you know. yeah, that's a whole other. We could go on and on about that for hours too, man. That's yeah, you know, a whole other yeah. thing. Yeah, but stomach not permitting, unfortunately, it's because I got to eat. But Ron, thank you so much for joining me, dude. Uh, I really me. appreciate you. Um, and also to anybody who's watching in the description is you know Ron's website, ronplacone.com as well as the link to Antitrust Summer, Ron Placone's Twitter, as well as his YouTube channel in the description as well. Any other places that they can find you, Ron, that you would like to uh, yeah, let that, people know? Yeah, I think that covers it, man. I mean, I'm, I'm on, I'm Ron Placone on all the socials. You can find me on Instagram. I'm, I'm on TikTok, even though I don't really know what I'm doing. And um, I'm on Twitter. Twitter's my most active, so that's the best place. You know, if you only do one, that, that that's the best place to follow me is Twitter at Romplicone. Uh, I will be announcing some 2023 tour dates soon. Some Ooh. of my shows next year are going to include screenings of my short film Loner. Uh, nice. Like like some of some of my shows are going to be at like these small indie theaters, so we're going to do a stand up show and a screening of the film because you know the film's only 12 minutes long so it's like you know not that hard to have a screening of it you know and to show it's not going to be like too long of an event so so be on the lookout for that that's coming to some cities uh i'm going to be coming to the uk in 23 and i'm probably going to be i'm likely going to be doing iceland because i was supposed to do iceland this past year but i got sick uh actually i I got covid right before i was supposed to leave It, it was really really shitty timing um but uh so i had to postpone iceland so i'll be doing iceland along with the uk to make up for it you know this coming year in 23 so be on the lookout for tour date soon and uh yeah man thanks for having me always a pleasure thanks so much ron Placone, everybody thank you so much for joining Peace. I'll, I'll see you on the interwebs absolutely man all right bye okay so that was great uh you know always love talking to my buddy Ron um 
brilliant guy. Um, very, uh, very uh, a friend's friend, you know, very uh, thoughtful individual that I, I love to have, you know, on and talk to. Um, and so I just want to thank all of you guys for joining. I'm going to be going to the chat just for one second, just to say my hellos to everybody. And Aspen Fallen was one of the first people. He's the Aspen Fallen says, Yay, yay to you, Aspen Fallen. Welch is great. Is up on here. So good to see you. Death Leopards saying, Yay, Jay and Ron. Yep, that's right, baby. All right. Terry Connolly is also in the chat saying, Hello, fam. Hello, Terry. So good to see you. Optimism of the will saying JB always lifts my soul. Oh man, thank you. Thank you. Man, I am I love this flannel shirt. It's so comfy and it looks good on me, doesn't it? Mm -mm. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. Where Pilgrim is also in the chat saying, Hey everybody. Hey, where Pilgrim. So good to see you. Paul Smith says, Ron is a true, honest actor in left podcast. Uh, I'm sure Ron appreciates that as well. Chris Hayes is a beep muncher. Uh, Ron lives rent-free in <laughs> David Dole's head. <laughs> uh, that's funny. All right. Let me see. Uh, lag 66. Log 66. Says Ron is the bomb. He is. All right. All right. Who else is in the chat that way they can say hello to? Abiding 71 says. Dear God. What the hell? <laughs> Ron, is it true you and Gavin from Vanguard are furry enthusiasts together? <laughs> I don't know about that. I'm going to move on. <laughs> I have respect for people who are, are, are of any persuasion, you know, that's, you know, consensual and adults. I, you know, have respect for anybody and everybody. So uh, let me see. Lee Limon says Lex Luthor really is working towards world domination. You know what? Let me say something. The fact that Lex Luthor, I mean, Jeff Bezos, can shame a woman, a black woman, on Twitter for expressing her disdain for a colonizer like Queen Elizabeth II without violating Twitter's terms of service and then gets her tweet taken down because of it. That's some, that's control. Like, I n almost never see a tweet from Jeff Bezos. And then he sees that, and he's like, oh, no, you can't go against, you know, my fellow oligarch like that. Who the hell are you? 
See, this is why we need to break up Big Tech. Because these people have way too much power. Too much power. Way too much. To the point where I'm just like, dude, shut up, you supervillain. Sit down, Jeff. Sit down. You shouldn't be having, you shouldn't have that much money, period. You stole most of it. Golly, I'm telling you. I am sick and tired of these oligarchs, man. All right. Yipper99. Good to see you. Yipper says, hello, everyone. Hello, Yipper. So good to see you also in the chat. All right. Who else do we have? Do we have anybody new? Wait, 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 wait. Holly Horn. So good to see you in the chat, too. CBC is in the chat. Panquake. All right. Good to see you. Jade Star says, three hearts. Thank you so much. It is so good to see you, too. All right. Absolutely, Jade Star. Fuck censorship. Absolutely. And this is one of the reasons why we need to break up big tech as well as many of these other big monopolies because or oligopolies or whatever you want to call them. But they need to be broken up. And I also am a fan of workers actually owning them too. Can you imagine? Hang on. And, and, and I want, okay, if you're watching this on the rewatch or if you're in the chat, what companies would you love to see owned by workers? Like completely worker owned. I want to see Amazon worker owned. I also want to see Apple worker owned. Um, I would also like to see uh, Microsoft worker owned. I would love Microsoft being worker owned, and then uh, with Microsoft, especially. Uh, Everything that they have is now open source and their products are modular. Oh, the capitalists would come after me for that one. They'd be like, no, you can't make profit. So I guess we're going to have to nationalize it so that everybody has access to it. So that people can actually communicate and do the things that they need to, because we live in a society where you don't have, you know, uh, you have to use the internet in order to be able to survive now. So, okay. That's, you know, okay. Who, who else? Um, <laughs> Candles boat says all of them, all of them, every single, all y'all worker owned. Jade Star says Walmart Walmart will be great to be completely worker owned. I do think that it needs to be broken up, but then out of that breaking it up, all those companies that would come out of it be worker owned. You know what I mean? Because I think that that would be great. Um Holly Horn says Tesla. I would love to see Tesla worker owned. But I also Tesla's kind of different different because I personally would love to see Tesla worker own, but I would also like to see Tesla as a niche market 
um, especially for people who live in rural areas. If you can have, if you can expand the electric grid and then have uh, a lot, you know, various power stations in rural areas, especially for people who need to use them and, you know, you know, electric power trucks in rural areas, because I would love to expand the mass public transit within this country so that it kind of it, it, it makes the need for electric vehicles or any type of personal vehicle obsolete because we don't because we need to center our our economic system around people instead of profit meaning that as long as people have a means to travel now if they need to travel and you know and, and take things with them then yeah, you know, we can have kind of like a one size, you know, fits all kind of publicly owned thing where, uh, you know, you, you have an app and you, you know, have a request for a particular, you know, vehicle to use or something like that. I don't know. Uh, you know, there's probably somebody can probably poke holes in my logic with this, but I'd rather be somebody who's anti-capitalist to do it. But, you know, I mean, there's so many people who just don't have adequate transportation. But then, you know, you can still get transport transported, you know, through uh, a, a mass public transit. And I also think that we should have mass public transit that's uh, free at the point of service. I mean, why should we even have to pay a fare just to get on the vehicle, like uh, a high-speed rail or a trolley or something? You know, I think that would be great. Um, let me see. Uh, Candles boat. There should be no company that's not employee-owned. Absolutely. I mean, um, the only one that I technically is still employee owned, but if the person owns their own company and they're working by themselves, technically it is employee owned. But at the same time, there's they don't have employees. Like if you're self-employed, like technically I am, there's nobody working for me. So technically I am the owner and the employee. So I guess in that way. But yeah, I agree. Yipper says, uh, Amazon, all sports banks. Yeah, so I think sports teams should be, yeah, I think sports teams should be um, worker-owned as well. Disney, oh, yes. I would oh, my God. Do you know the quality of entertainment that could come out if it was worker-owned and we could start taking more risks for the stories that could be told instead of all doing all these remakes. I'm just saying, like, don't get me wrong. Some remakes, I'm just like, okay, cool. I would like to see that because, you know, you want to see it more updated, you know, or see it, you know, in real life. You, you kind of want to see that. But at the same time, it's like, I would like to see more news stories that come out, something that really just like catches our eye, you know? Um, 
catches our mind's attention. I would love to see that. And so just imagine what they could do if it was more community or worker owned and they weren't bound by the rules of profit making, you know what I mean? And and giving the money to their their shareholders. <laughs> Optimism of the will says Disney should just be wiped from the face of the earth. <laughs> I don't know, Mickey Mouse, but you're not like that. Um, <laughs> yes, I would love to see YouTube worker own. YouTube being worker owned would be great as well. Uh, the department <laughs> is this the Department of Defense? Technically, that's a government entity, or I, I don't know. Uh, cars are coffins on wheels. <laughs> Well, I mean, the government is supposed to be community owned by the community of the whole, uh, of all people. So I would just take all the money out of it. But yeah, Kansas City has free train. What? For real? That sounds good. That's pretty nice. I like that. Green Bay Packers being <laughs> employee owned. Uh, yeah. So, oh, wait, the Packers have no owners? That's, oh, wow. Okay. I didn't know that. Okay. Cool. Um, you see, Rest is Resistance by uh, Trisha Hershey is coming out in October. Any chance we can get you to read some of that to us? Just an idea. Never heard of her before, but that sounds interesting. That's possible. Uh, Yipper says McDonald's. Why should international McDonald's have better food? Yeah, I think McDonald's, uh, I think McDonald's should be worker-owned. Um, there's absolutely no reason why anybody who works for McDonald's should be making, uh, should be making poverty wages. Um, especially when it has as much money, uh, as it does, uh, all that money can be, you know, distributed, you know, the, the profit that they make could be distributed to the workers because they're the ones who create the wealth. So yeah, I, I completely agree. So, but yeah, um, yeah, this was a great conversation, you know, uh, and, uh, any other companies, you know, if you guys want to rewatch, please put that in the comments below. Um, yeah, I will be getting to my reading of Dirty Truths by Michael Parenti and, Blood in My Eye by George Jackson. I'll be getting to those. I'm going to try to get to those a little bit earlier this week so that I can have them already uploaded because I have a baby shower to go to this weekend. And so I'm going to be a little bit busy. Uh, but yeah. And then, uh, wait, who, who do I have one coming on next week? JB, get it together. Come on, homeboy. Um I got to look at my calendar really quick because I want to make sure that I'm accurate on who I have. Who you got on JB next week? Next week. 
next week. Who you got on JB next week? Next week. It's going to be Eddie Liger from Midwestern Marks next Tuesday. Oh, yeah. So that's who's going to be on next week on Tuesday, the 20th. I'm going to have on Eddie Lager Smith from Midwestern Marks. It's going to be great. We're going to have a good old time. I can't wait for you guys to join that conversation. I'm going to be probing his brain to get all of that that uh, revolutionary uh, theory out of his head so that I can put it into my brain so that I can become smarter. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> also, um, thanks to everybody who is a contributor and a patron on Patreon and Coffee, and thank you to anybody that has been sending me uh, anything outside of Patreon and Coffee. Yeah, your boys and not in the best place right now. But I appreciate anything and everything that people have been helping me out with. And did I make sure I check Rockfin? Uh, yes. Oh, hello. Happy Tuesday, Rory O'Neill on Rockfin. So good to see you too. I want to make sure that I catch my Rockfin peeps because I don't want to leave you guys out because you guys are just as important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hang on. Let me see Rory O'Neill. So good to see you. All right. And let me see. Oh, hey. Reefer After Dark is in the chat. So good. Love to you anyway, JP. Keep on. <laughs> Thank you so much, Reefer. So good to see you. Uh, and uh, did you comment earlier? I didn't see. I'm trying to make sure. Did I miss you at all? I'm going through this. Man, this thing is this thing is long. Um, but yeah, it's always good to see you, bro. Um, also, oh, you just reminded me. Uh, also, make sure you guys have subscribed to Indie Left, Indie Left News. Independent media is being, you know, consolidated in one newsletter, and then they give it to you so that you can basically have your daily dose. So it's almost like Indie Left is kind of like that, that um, you know, that pillbox that has like the, the, month, the Sunday through Saturday. And then you, you know, you have your select, you know, amount of pills that you need to take. Well, okay. Those of us who are chronic illnesses and old people pretty much are the only ones that know about it. But anyways, you know, that pill box that you have, and then you have all your pills set for the week. And then you have, you know, different ones. Well, that's basically what Indie Left is. They're the pill box that gives you your prescriptions for each day. So. Make sure to subscribe to Independent Left Media as well. Did I just, wait, did I just refer to Indie Left as drugs? Drugs that make you feel good? <laughs> I'm 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, yes. And you're right, Jade. Indy is awesome. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Make sure to subscribe to them as well. But, uh, yes. So continue to water your plants. Water yourselves. Self-care is important. So take care of yourselves. Lotion. And when you go out into the sun, make sure to put on some sunscreen. All right. You know, we, me and Ron talked about that today. Okay. Make sure you do that. <laughs> Including you people who are melanin abundant like me. Just because, you know, we, we melanin abundant don't mean that we can't get skin cancer. So make sure you protect yourselves too. All right. JB's watching you. All right. Smoke them if you got them. Drink them if you got them. If you don't got them, then laugh. Enjoy life because joy is revolutionary. Bring that forehead over here. You know what's coming. Mwah! Forehead kisses. I love you. You love me. We're a great big family with a great big hug and a kiss from me to you. Won't you say you love me too?